Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Thursday edition is here from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville, Music City, Tennessee, with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski, Jonathan Hutton with you. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. And a big show today, big show tomorrow, and then Outkick the Telegate, live from 6th and Peabody, Saturday morning here on the network. 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern, ready to go for your college football weekend. We are going to get you set for the full slate of games with Bobby Carpenter. Uh, he joins us in about 20 minutes from now. An hour and a half from now, Armando Salguero joins us as NFL Week 7 kicks off tonight. Broncos and Browns, no Baker Mayfield. He may need surgery on the shoulder, the left non-throwing shoulder. Is that going to happen during the season, postseason? Well, we'll get the details uh, later this afternoon. A lot of headlines to hit in between. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Boys, it's feeling an awful lot like 95 uh, in my household right now. The last time, the, the only time, the Atlanta Braves have won a World Series. What a performance by my Braves last night. Or 2020, when it was a 3-1 series lead against these Dodgers. That, uh, Hutton, let's, let's, let's stick with the positivity okay. right now. Let's I like not, where let's Hutton's not, going. Let's not here. go like with that. Hutton's going. Feeling a lot like 95, not, not like that. <laughs> and look, I thought, heck, I said it yesterday. When they gave up that three-run homer to Bellinger on a very improbable pitch to hit a home run, it felt like, okay, the Dodgers are coming back. Braves have a bullpen day. It's 2-2. I didn't know if the Braves were going to win another game in the series at that point. I thought they may very well lose the series 4-2. Now it's the Dodgers on a bullpen game and Max Freed going for the Braves. Now, Hutton, you walked in and said, Braves should win today. They may be able to close this thing out. Dodgers have not hit lefty pitching, really, wow. the back half of the How season. How you not bet them? But especially in this. And then I look at the FanDuel odds, and I see that the Dodgers are minus 146 in this game. Pretty heavy. And I think Vegas knows something. And then, Paul, I get nervous at that point. I get nervous well, that Vegas a, knows more than us. You've got a game and a do. half to not be nervous. And if, you get, uh, if, if the Dodgers win then you still should win the next one. But if you get into the fourth inning of the next one, then the whole thing flips. It, so it does feel different than last year. And the, the Braves have been the underdog on all three of these games in L.A. Yes. I mean, they're playing the, the series as an underdog, and plenty of people probably still expect them to, to blow it. But you're in the driver's seat, and like I said, you got a game and a half here of a wiggle room. Paul, I, I, How about my Astros? Well, you don't know what this is like because you're a Yankees fan. And every time the Yankees are on a national broadcast, they're the, the, the focal point yes. because they're the New York Yankees. Yes. It, it's, it's odd on the other side when you're watching Dodgers-Braves and I'm sitting there watching every pitch of that game and everything is about what the Dodgers aren't doing and not about what the Braves are doing. 
And I know that people love to complain about this when you're a fan of a team. Oh, you can't just give it up for the Braves. It's got to be about the Dodgers pitching woes, and it's got to be about this mistake and that mistake. It can't be that the Braves are doing well. It's also your history of But failure. I'm watching that game, and even Jeff Francoeur is on the broadcast, who's very good, who's on the Braves broadcast with your favorite, Chip Carey. Oh. And I'm thinking to myself, can't this be a little bit more about the Braves and a little bit less about the Dodgers? I found myself falling into that wow. sort of fan trap of watching a national broadcast. But well, it's it true. could be. If, if out of those 11 division titles in a row, you'd done more than win one World Series, it could be more about the Braves. Well, that's, it's not, that's why it's not It has nothing to do with the Braves' history because the Braves, the Braves had a lot of fans at, at Dodger Stadium last night. They've got fans. No, it's not about the fans. Well, it's about the history of the team. They, that's are, why it's about they the are a premier franchise because they're the South's franchise and they've had success. It's not about their, it's about, it's the Dodgers. Right. Dodgers, but bigger than the Braves, bigger star power. I well, get Dodgers all of that. Bigger historical success also. It's why the Cowboys have the top four rated NFL games of the year. I, I understand all that. It still doesn't make it any less annoying when it's your team playing that team and you're watching the game and your team's having a great game. Joe Buck. Is Joe Buck on that series or the other series? Joe Buck is not on this series. He's, he's, in, get, he's with Fox. He's, he trends often, and I just pop over to see the trending, and he just gets sh- shredded by everybody. For yeah, These everything. games are on TBS. Yeah. Why, why is Joe Buck getting shredded? It just, yeah, the people just hate him. But repetitive, uh, hokey, whatever. But I'm, I'm just saying, a broadcaster of a big series, I think, tends to get shredded. Here's how I know Joe Buck is good, because so many people hate yeah, him. Yeah, I, I thought like, I, I feel like I Joe Buck is just, it's just in vogue. Uh, Reed brought this up yesterday with Nickelback. Nickelback <laughs> sells out every concert. There's, they sell tons of records, but yet it's very trendy to hate on Nickelback. I'm not saying Nickelback is good, but I can say Nickelback is popular. I think Joe Buck is popular. I think Joe Buck is good. I think it's just very trendy to hate Joe Buck for whatever reason. I like the Braves' chances very much now. I want to say the same about the Astros, but I still very much fear that the Red Sox will find a way here to win two in a row, in which case I'll be a big Braves fan. I am, I'm pro-Red Sox in that series. Screw the Astros for what they've done. I feel, it is, like, I feel like me and Joe Kelly are the only two willing to say that. I ranked the teams for my wife the other day. Uh, Dodgers, one. Braves, two. Astros, three. Red Sox, 15th. Paul, I, I think you should just just kind of sit out the ALCS. Because <laughs> I am. There's no good scenario <laughs> no. for you. I mean, it's, it's well, really Astros either the team. Astros winning is a better scenario. It's the team that cheated you. Yep. That willfully cheated your team cheated out of an American League cheated title and a possible World Series versus a team that I don't think has always done things the right way, but at least they didn't cheat your team out of the American but League I hate championship. Them above all else. And Look, one of those teams I love the, World the Astros compared to the Red Sox. I mean, you have and to. You be, know how much I hate the Astros. You have to. I know you're a Dodgers guy right now, but if the Braves win this series, you have to be a Braves guy oh, in the will. World Series. I will be. Good. Either way, which I'm, I'd I'm glad, hate. I'm glad we agree. We agree See, on it's a sea on October of misery. So this was almost my primary complaint yesterday. Paul, why do you feel compelled to find a team to cheer for when your team's gone? Like, if the Cubs are out, I don't care who else wins. I'm not going to find someone else to cheer for well, I'm just to make it entertaining. I'm not looking for somebody to cheer for, but I need my teams to lose. And in order for those teams to – I need the teams I hate to lose. So in order for them to lose, I have to root for somebody to beat them. You find happiness in hatred. 
more than you find joy in loving I, something. I've said this Hello? before. <laughs> this is have this you met is, me? Less than ever most... before, though, Reed. Less oh. than ever before. Did you meet him twelve years ago? Yes. Yeah. Well, particularly with the Red Sox. Particularly with the Red Sox. The softening took hold, but this is one area, I guess, where the the softening didn't take hold, is your love of hating the other team and rooting against them. But, Paul, this is the most collegiate thing that you do. This is a very college football thing where it's almost as much fun to hate on the rival or the coach of the team that you hate on a Saturday as much as it is uh, to, to, to root I mean, for your the team. the Yankees, Red Sox rivalry exists before half the teams in the SEC were in the SEC? Um, well, the SEC's been around for, yeah, they probably did. I'm not saying they invented rivalries, but I'm saying if you rank the sports where schadenfreude exists, college football is right near the top. College sports especially. Hud and I had this conversation no over the weekend. I can't think of another sport where you get pure joy. Ask a Vandy fan about anything that happens bad with Tennessee. They get no joy from their team. All of their joy takes place when Tennessee loses. And now you're falling into that, that with I your get, team out of the playoffs. I don't get joy from it. I get relief from it. It pains me if they are highly successful. So I'm relieved when they are not highly successful. Well, they trail successful. three games to two now. So Yeah. But they, ha- they have tomorrow. a lot of grand slams in them, Hutton. A lot of grand slams. I, I just always want to think about the other team. tomb if I'm if I'm having to bet grand slams. I yeah. know they've had two back to back games to do it, but give me the Astros in that game. I, They're down I'm, down three two. The let, Red Sox. Let us pray. Amen. All about it. Um, it it's uh, for me. I don't know if you guys are the same way. I'm sure a lot of fans are this way. I always like to think about a team that has it worse than mine. No matter how bad it is for my team, I always want to then focus on, well, at least we're not X team. See, at least we, we, haven't, we don't have this losing streak. At least we don't have this going on. <laughs> at least we didn't lose that game. Because whatever happens on a weekend with a football game, you hope you're not the worst of it. See, right? You, from... Sometimes you'll be the worst of it. But you, you always hope it's, well, at least it's not this. Because this team lost this game. We are from complete opposite ends. Because nobody had it better than the Yankees for much of my Yankee rooting. So thinking of somebody who had it worse than me, was uh, that was everybody. Well, you say this, yet you're all invested on the Red Sox losing in this right. series while your team sits at home. Uh, right, well, because they finally have gotten in position where they're better. But for the bulk of my life, it, there were very few teams that were better than the Yankees. So that's all I was worried about was anybody that was was better. They closed the gap now, Hutton, the, the, according to Aaron Boone. They've all closed the gap. But so you sound like Aaron Boone right now. My life. Yeah, you do. You, you sound... Th- th- this Paul is, Boone over here. You you crushed Aaron Boone for making that statement. What do you mean they caught up? You've got to catch the Rays now. You've got to catch the Red Sox. Stop no, talking about that. I agree that. with all that, but for a, a good stretch of my rooting life and for all the championships that they've won and stuff, well, that's what, I wasn't worrying about... That's what about, Aaron Boone's been pointing to. I wasn't worrying I, about that. I was always looking... Behind, you know, I didn't. I, if there were teams ahead of me, those were the teams I was worrying about. I wasn't worrying about the teams that had it worse and taking relief in that. With Paul's new stance, I'd only like to talk about 90s Tennessee football from here on out. You know, the bulk <laughs> of my childhood, Tennessee was great. We were beating Alabama every year at a long winning streak. Let's, let's go talk about that. Let's not talk about, you know, uh, uh, should I make a statement about 
you know, everybody else just caught up with Tennessee right now. These last 20 years, <laughs> they really caught up with the Vols. we gotta, we got to take our spot back. Let's just focus on the good times. Well, if your team's generally regarded as the standard bearer, you're not generally thinking of, historically the standard bearer, you're not generally thinking of, I'm, oh, I, the teams that have it, at least so-and-so has it worse. It's a different kind of mentality. Miami and Houston both have it really bad right now in the NFL, oh. but they're about to make a trade, according to John McClain Who's and the third team? multiple other outlets now jumping on saying that a deal's going to get done for Deshaun Watson. But yeah, that, that's the added detail is there's a third team in line to acquire Tua Tungavaloa. And who wants and Tua Tungavaloa? What it may mean for the trade to get done. Someone's got to want him. Why? Um, <laughs> because they want to move him in order to get a pick that Houston would covet, that Miami would need to send to Houston for the trade for I understand for Watson. that, but why does somebody want Tua based on what he's shown well, so I far? I mean, because, you know, Mike Glennon is starting games in the NFL right now. Uh, Case Keenum is starting games. No, but he's it's, not it's a bring... quarterback depth competition yeah. scenario. You're not saying he's the franchise quarterback, but if you gave me the option of some of these guys, heck, if you gave me Davis Mills versus Tua Tungavailoa, I'd probably take Tua Tungavailoa, even though the Texans don't want him. Well, he's not going to bring <laughs> even back, with that strong neck. He's not going to bring I back a, a lot of value that's going to help stir the trade. So that's why I'm so fascinated to see what it is that helps get this trade stirred, um, because he's not bringing a lot in exchange unless somebody else is going with him from Miami. What's he bringing in, a, in a, his piece of the three-way trade? Coming up, uh, we will discuss that in detail with Armando Salguero down in Miami, South Beach. Uh, he'll give us the details on the possible trade for Deshaun Watson from the Dolphins. That's at 320 Central. Uh, we will also talk college football headlines. Bobby Carpenter from Outkick.com, he joins us next as we go through the top games of Week 8 across college football. All of that and more straight ahead on Outkick 360. Aurora Nutriscience, uh, our trusted partner that keeps us mentally sharp and healthy with their supplements. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. VitaLifeScience.com is the website. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. This is where you can see more information. And Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% off discount with the code OUTKICK360 at the site, vitalifescience.com. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. Um, only absorbed in small, very small amounts, really. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that in ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use vitamin D3, uh, vitamin C, glutathione every day. Easy grab-and-go packets from Aurora. You can use those in the morning. Take them with you all day. Aurora supplements absorbed in the bloodstream through the GI tract. It ensures that they're not wasted like a capsule or pill that you get over the counter. Vitalifescience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. That's V-I-D-A, Vitalifescience.com. Big college football weekend coming up on Saturday. You can preview all of those games with us. OutKick the tailgate gets started at 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern, Right here in Nashville this week, our stop with OutKick and OutKick the Tailgate here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter for more details on that. OutKick360 is where to find us. You can find Bobby Carpenter on Twitter at BCarp3 and his work through the OutKick YouTube channel 
and at outkick.com. He joins us weekly to preview the college football weekend. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. I'm doing great, man. Uh, getting finally the midway point here. Things are kind of icing up. You're getting coaches, uh, you know, taking L's and sitting down, <laughs> getting guys hit with spitters, being thrown from the stands. I mean, college football season's in full force. Bobby, I, I want to start by apologizing on behalf of the show because we have not been addressing you properly throughout this time. We should have been saying Professor Bobby Carpenter joins us. You teach a class at Ohio State? I, I learned this info and I had no idea. Yeah, I teach, uh, I teach a finance class over at Ohio State. It's a private equity class. Um, somehow picked up a second section doing, you know, the virtual class wasn't very much fun, but this is, I think, my fourth, uh, fourth year doing this now. So uh, rolling into it, it's been a lot of fun. It keeps me young. Uh, I'm 38, and so I still feel like I'm in college, uh, but I'm not quite, uh, not quite 18 to 22 anymore. So those guys have a little different perspective on life than I do. Well, you know a lot about finance, and uh, Tennessee AD Danny White knows a lot about finance this week. $250,000 uh, they're paying uh, the SEC in fines after the scene on, on Saturday night. Obviously unacceptable uh, to throw things like that, especially for that length of time where that took place. Tennessee fans also obviously frustrated with some things that happened in that game from an officiating standpoint. But Bobby, what I want to ask you about is fake injuries over the course of the game. And that was a big issue in the second half. 13 stoppages right when Tennessee would get a first down. Someone for Ole Miss would hit the deck. Right now it's within the rules to do that. Lane Kiffin used it. It helped them. Is there anything college football can do to correct this from a rule standpoint? Do you feel like it's something that needs to be evaluated in the offseason? So here's the problem. This is something that has been going on now for a number of years, especially with the proliferation of like the high speed offenses and to go, 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 go. And they get this momentum and it's really tough to overcome it. So what do you guys do? Well, you know, I'd never heard of this in college in the big 10, you know, maybe two or three teams were in the spread. I get to the NFL and they've got, they, they get the check scuba call. I was like, what the heck is a check scuba? Like you take the dive. We'll call the number, check scuba, go down. You'll come out get some water after the play. You'll cramp up, try to make it look good. Uh, but this this same thing happened. These accusations were levied with you know, James Franklin and Kirk Ferentz going back and forth uh, about a week, you know, two weeks ago after, or a week ago, I guess, after that Iowa Penn State game. And so this is something that is an issue. The problem is, gentlemen, I don't know how you correct it because to say someone's you know faking an injury or feigning an injury, like that's it's a pretty egregious thing. And so there are guys who get hurt that you look at like, yeah, it didn't look like much. And then all of a sudden you just realize they, they tore their ACL or something bad happened. And then there's other times where it's like, all right, you know, the guy just went down and okay. Is it cramping? Is it real? Is it fake? And that, so it's really hard to delineate. And so I'm not sure exactly how you do it unless, you know, after so many times or something, maybe you start burning those timeouts. And when you do that, okay, well, we'll still stop the game but you have chewed through all three of your timeouts now. It's middle of the second quarter or maybe in the first quarter still. And now at the end of the first half, you don't have the option. And the same thing could happen in the second half. And I guess that might be a way to alleviate where, where you still stop the game. But there is something punitive in nature to where if it's being you know told to happen, obviously you know there's going to be some penalties where you lose your timeouts. And then if it's not, like, okay, you still lose those timeouts, but we'll still stop the game later 
if that's going to be the case, but you're not going to have the ability anymore to stop it moving forward. See, I think the communication aspect of this whole thing is very interesting, even even if they are faking it, because if you have a guy go down on a check scuba call, Bobby, uh, there could be a play where one of your other teammates actually is hurt and you don't have to feign an injury, right? You don't have to cramp up and stop the game. Also, there's a player on offense who could also get banged up. Like, you don't want to waste a, uh, a fake injury to stop the clock on a play that would automatically stop anyway. So I'm, I'm intrigued just by how they know when to go down and how long to stay down. Oh, believe me, they, they know when to go down and how to stay down because this is something that's talked about in practice. These guys aren't out there doing it on their own. It's not like they created right. this thought and like, hey, you know, do that. No, they know when the ball's in play, you know, and it's a second and three or third and one, and they're running the line of scrimmage, and maybe you've been on the field for five straight plays defensively, you know, you go down. And that's why my thing is like, okay, they're this adept at doing this because it's been coached and it's been worked through. And believe me, it's within, you know, the realm of legal play right now. And the old adage, you know, especially in college football, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And so coaches have figured out all these different ways to try to slow down offensive football. And I think that's why if you utilize the timeout thing, like we'll keep stopping the game, but all of a sudden, if it gets to a two minute situation late and you need to stop it and you're on offense, like, and it's going to take, because let's be real. They don't stop it immediately when you get hurt. So if you have like 15 seconds and you throw a pass and you know, there's four or five seconds left and you're trying to stop a clock by an injury, it's not going to get it done. And so that would ultimately cost you later in the game. And so I've never seen a game. I'll tell you this, where you've had three guys go down in a half with like serious injuries that were stoppages. Maybe a couple of times it's happened. And so I think that that would be a way where, hey, maybe we'll give you a couple freebies or something, but there has to be something punitive in nature where we're still making sure that the injury is real. We're still going to address it, but there is some penalty on the back end of it to where, you know what, you guys have done this enough in the game and we're still stopping for you, but you have lost the ability now to control clock management late in games. Bobby, let's go to the Big Ten. How much better is Ohio State feeling right now with Iowa's big loss to Purdue? You have Michigan State struggling a bit against Indiana. You still have Michigan sitting there unbeaten. But with some of the improvement they've made on defense, how much better does Ohio State feel right now about their college football playoff chances? You know, it's interesting. Actually, Iowa losing, I think, a lot of people, you know, in the Big Ten, especially in the East, were kind of upset because you want to have that team that's undefeated on the other side that gives you kind of a backstop to where, hey, even if I'm a one-loss team, you know, I beat this team in the in the conference championship game. All of a sudden, it's going to be a nice boost because I'm beating a top five team. So Iowa should win out, and they'll probably be somewhere in you know, top eight, top ten, depending when it all shakes out. Uh, but it's just undefeated is a little better. You know, the thing with Ohio State, they've been playing better defense, but they've been playing better defense against Akron. Rutgers, Maryland, like Indiana, a little bit better offensively. Michael Penix hasn't been the same player. He's been hurt. And so now they've got Jack Tuttle in there and you know he wasn't great against Michigan state. You want to see him do it against the big test. And I think next week, Halloween, Penn state, we'll get into all that. Hopefully Sean Clifford will be happy, healthy. I don't think he's playing this week against Illinois because you want to make sure he'll be a hundred percent. They do frankly, don't need him to beat Illinois. Uh, and then with Michigan State struggling a little bit against Indiana, you know, I think they won 20, 20 uh, to 15. You know, I believe the spread was five and a half, so, or four and a half. And I always say good teams win, great teams cover. Michigan State covered that four and a half point spread. It wasn't pretty. It didn't feel good, but they were looking, they had a bye week this week. 
And then they had you know their big rivalry game with Michigan on Halloween Day. So big day for the Big Ten uh, next weekend. And so I could see them possibly overlooking that, not playing their best ball as of yet. So if I'm a Buckeye fan. I don't necessarily feel you know great. I think the co- eastern part of the conference is really strong, and you still have you know the three teams in the top ten with Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan all looming in games that you'll be probably playing in about five weeks of each other. Harbaugh critics have been uh, awfully quiet because Michigan's been been quite good, but they've obviously got the the big three coming with Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. If he wins two out of those three, do they stay quiet? If he wins one out of those three, how loud do they get? If he, God forbid, loses all three of those, uh, the pitchforks and torches right back out? So they've won a lot of games. They've looked good doing it. Their running game has been really solid. Uh, defensively, they've been really solid. Quarterback-wise, Cade McNamara has looked okay. I believe they finally just passed in their final game uh, before their bye. You know, they finally outpassed their team as far as rushing and passing go. Had more passing yards than rushing yards in a game. Big. They, yeah, I guess that's big. That probably should be happening most weeks. Um, but we're able to get that done. Throw a flea flicker, flicker in there. You got 55 yards on that. But, you know, that aside, it's winning the right games. I think beating Penn State, that's nice. They wouldn't need to win their rivalry games. And for that, that's Michigan State and that's Ohio State. I think they could lose to Michigan State and lose to Penn State if they beat Ohio State. I think that would calm a lot of people down because that's something that Jim Harbaugh hasn't done yet. Uh, if they beat Michigan State and Penn State, I think that suffices. They lose to Ohio State, and people say, okay, you went 11-1, and one, and that's pretty good. Made a lot of progress. They lose all three, people are going to be furious. And I think if they lose to both Michigan State and Ohio State, people are still going to be really upset. You'll be sitting there 10-2, and two, and you know, the Michigan faithful will be looking around saying, okay, we're 10-2. and two. We haven't beaten Ohio State yet with Jim Harbaugh. We've been in this thing for almost a decade. And now we're back losing to Michigan State again, and they've got Mel Tucker and, you know, he's going to be recruiting well. They turned it around in a year when I think their over-under for Michigan State was to win three games, three and a half games this year. And all of a sudden now they're undefeated. They're looking good. And, you know, maybe they're a one-loss team at the end of the season. And so with that, you know, that's another big piece of it. And they're, they're probably thinking hopefully Mel Tucker goes to LSU. I mean, that would be our next best thing. So I think if he loses both of those games, it could be pretty hot for him at the end of the season, regardless if they have 10 wins or not. Is there a bigger surprise in college football other than Michigan State and what Mel Tucker has done through this start and how they're winning games with a Heisman Trophy candidate in the backfield and, and the dominance they've had in the run game, but also the, the fact that they're pulling out these close matchups? Those close games are games historically like that Michigan State has seemed to lose. Like that Indiana game, that's one where it's like, all right, they've done what they've needed to do. They've got a bye week. They've got Michigan on the horizon. And that's one time where like they kind of just throw out a turd and, and lose that game. And they were able to get it done. You know, Peyton Thorne has been really good for him at quarterback. Kenneth Walker, they pulled out of the transfer portal from Wake Forest. And they have two really good receivers in Reed and Naylor. And so they have all the ingredients on offense to be able to score the football. Indiana slowed them down. You know, they had some issues moving the football on the road. And we'll see if those things continue. I'm not willing to scrap it all just yet. Uh, defensively, they've been good, but they haven't been great. So they've got to make sure that they do a better job probably on third downs. They've, they've gotten off the field when they needed to, and they've been pretty good in the red zone. But for my money, like Mel Tucker has got to be the coach of the year at this point based upon what he inherited. And I expected like if they were to win seven or eight games, 
I was going to put that in the huge win column for Michigan State, and they're they're basically there at the at this point. If they can find a way to pick off one or two of the big three remaining in Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't give it to them and making them you know basically a ten win football team when they were expected to win three games. Bobby, Michigan State, a good example of an unbeaten in the Power Five that's under-discussed, but I think that we're talking more about them than two other Power Five teams that are still unbeaten at this point. I want to start with Oklahoma State. Impressive win, impressive statement over Texas this weekend. They are a seven-point underdog this week. Undefeated Oklahoma State Cowboys at Iowa State. That game is on Fox at 3.30 this Saturday what do you think of Oklahoma State and what they've been able to do, surprisingly, on defense for a Mike Gundy team? Yeah, when you think about Oklahoma State football, you're not thinking about tough, slug it out, you know, defensive stops. Usually thinking about a pretty good quarterback, fringe NFL quarterback, and some elite receivers on the outside. They're going to try to score 55 a game, and they may give up 52 in the process, give up 49 points in the process. You know, they've changed a lot. You know, they get their big win. You know, beat Texas. Everything's all well in the world. They're undefeated. They're seven point six and a half, seven point underdogs to Iowa State, which is crazy because Iowa State's unranked, which I think is probably a little inaccurate. They lost to Iowa to start the season. You know, and they lose a real tight one to Baylor. But outside of that, they've been playing pretty darn good football. You know, Brock Purdy's right of the shi- uh, ship. You know, Brees Hall has looked a lot better running the football, and Matt Campbell has seemed to turn that thing around. I mean, it seems like almost a matter of time before Oklahoma State loses. I, I thought they had a pretty good chance of beating Texas. But you know, now having to uh, go to Iowa State, I believe it's in Ames, and with how well they're playing, I think you know Iowa State's looking at this as a chance to get in back into that Big 12 race. If you look, they still have one conference loss. They beat Okie State. They basically control their destiny with them playing Oklahoma here later in the year. So they're going to have an opportunity to work their way back in it. And I think they're playing much better football than they were to start the season. So, Bobby, I'm going to chalk this one up as the strangest big game of a college football weekend on October 23rd. Undefeated Wake Forest on the road in West Point to take on Army. Wake Forest only a three-point favorite in this game. Wake is another team that no one is talking about being undefeated right now for a number of reasons. Dave Clawson's done an amazing job uh, with that program and this team. What do you think about Wake, though, on the road against an Army attack that obviously is difficult to prepare for? You know, very difficult to prepare, prepare for. They gave you know, Wisconsin you know, all they could handle last week. I mean, it's, that game was over in about an hour and 40 minutes. Everybody's running the football. You know, no one likes playing the service academies. And it's great the way they play, how disciplined they are, how functional they are. And they've done a much better job at recruiting at Army lately. And you basically have to prepare for this game like it's a, it's its own isolated season. And so there's no, you know, nothing that carries over leading in from prior games. There's nothing you can take from this game and take it anywhere else. And so, you know, this is probably going to be the toughest game yet that Wake has faced. It's going to be a ball control game. It's going to be a short football game. And that's a great recipe for an upset. It's going to be up at Army. This is going to be probably the biggest game they've had there, you know, in a number of years. You know, I like Wake. They're a nice story. I don't think they're all that talented. And this game just screams upset. If, if a three-point dog is really that big of an upset, that's what it screams to me. Because when you play Army, you probably get three or four less possessions than you would in a typical game. And so you have to be ultra-efficient. And all of a sudden, if you get behind, you know, and you miss some of those scoring opportunities, 
the walls start closing in on you because Army puts together a drive. The drive might take eight to 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden you start pressing and things can kind of spiral on you. And so I, I like this game to be Wake's probably first loss. I like the way the mid- or the uh, the Black Knights play. You know, they're really, really good. You know, they don't have some of those high-end athletes, but this isn't a game that's going to feature those high-end athletes on the other side of Wake Forest either. You spoke well of Cincinnati before. You buy them as the second-best team in the country right now? Oh, goodness. You know, I've talked to some people that, you know, cover the dogs. Georgia, they thought they were really good last year. They think they're they're worthy of it. They justif- they're justifiably there. I don't know if talent-wise you would put them there, um, but I, they're probably going to go undefeated. If they do, they got a good shot at getting in. I don't know if they can win two games in the college football playoff, but depending on who they would play, I think they ultimately could win one. And so if you're telling me you could win one game, that puts you into the championship game, and that means you're probably one of the two best. I think they're top five for sure. What they need this week is Notre Dame to get another win. They need a 10-win Notre Dame team to help them out, and I think they'll probably end up getting it. But based upon what they're play- how they're playing and how they're looking, we'll see. Maybe their only test will be SMU later in the year. But I think that they are talented enough and they play well enough together as a team to belong in the college football playoffs. So I'm going to put them in the top four, top five for sure. Bobby Carpenter, our college football analyst here on Outkick 360, joins us weekly. Bobby, uh, strange set of circumstances at LSU. Ed Orgeron, uh, he's out two years after winning the national title, uh, has a Heisman Trophy winner playing for him. And on top of that, he's staying on for the rest of the season. And then they hold a press conference and he shakes hands with the, the AD that told him to GTFO. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on how everything has played out there. And what, what would it be like to be a player on a roster knowing that the coach that you're playing for is a dead man walking? Maybe they knew that before this past week. Who knows? Uh, but the, with the announcement to the team, and now they're going to face Ole Miss this week. There's, there's a couple of things I like to you know look at and kind of make light of with this. I think we talked last week, and I thought them losing to Florida would be the death blow to Edo. I didn't think that they would have already fired him and talked about that after Kentucky, and then he beats Florida, and then they want to make that public because the last thing they wanted him to do you know, was kind of catch fire and be able to kind of push through. And then you begin to hear the trickling of some of the things that have been happening um, you know, off the field. You know, his coaching staff situation, I think, was rough. You know, when you lose Joe Brady and Dave Aranda, you've got to replace those guys. And I don't think he ever really did a good job of that. Um, and they said he had kind of lost the locker room. Now, those guys played hard for him against Florida. It didn't look like they had any quit in that game. So I think they'll continue to play hard for him. You know, they want to win. They're at LSU. They've got a lot of pride. They have talented players. I think with, you know, with Coach O, you hear some of the off the field stuff and bringing girlfriends to practice and some of their, you know, the kids and maybe hitting on administrators, you know, pregnant wives. I mean, I guess if you're just going to finish out the season, you know, do you, do you keep bringing people around? I mean, there's really no threat of you losing your job. They're going to pay you out anyway. So, you know, why wouldn't you just kind of go all in on doing what you're doing? I think he probably also breathes a sigh of relief to where he's probably going to be more pleasant being around his players because there isn't that pressure of losing your job anymore. It's already been decided. Let's just go out there and win. And I think he'll look at this. If he loves LSU as much as he says, which I believe him when he says that, He's going to make sure they finish strong and that he goes out, you know, and his players, you know, can kind of pat him on the back and say, we all did this together, even though, you know, it didn't work out in the end. So I I think his guys will play hard for him. And I think you might see a different and more relaxed Ed Orgeron here over the final, you know, five, six, seven weeks of the season. What's the game you can't wait to watch on Saturday? 
Oh, the game I can't wait to watch. You know, it, it just depends on kind of what you're looking for. Um, you know, do I Clemson and Pitt? I mean, I'm excited. I'm curious to see, you know, if Clemson loses this game, they're basically out of the ACC championship race. It's one thing to not be in the college football playoff. You know, it's another thing to be hovering around 500 in your conference, you know, losing to Pitt. They're underdogs. It's in Pittsburgh. You know, it's not going to be, you know, a fast track. I know Narduzzi's going to have those guys fired up to play well. Maybe that. And then I'm kind of looking a little bit, you know, at USC and Notre Dame as well, because I, I, I want to see how well Notre Dame's going to do because I've been on this Cincy bandwagon all year and been on the train. But, you know, part of that train is Notre Dame at the caboose, like helping to push this thing forward. So they need to make sure that they ultimately get a win. And then maybe a little bit uh, Maryland, Minnesota. I think Minnesota could be a dark horse to potentially win uh, the West. They've been playing much better since they lost to Ohio State and been slowly gaining some momentum outside of the Albatross Bowling Green loss, which is inexplicable. They've been playing some pretty good football. So those are kind of three games that are maybe even guilty pleasures that I'll be watching to just kind of see the outcome. You can follow Bobby on Twitter at bcarp3. Read his work and analysis on those games and more at outkick.com. Bobby, thanks as always. We always look forward to this. We'll catch up next week. Absolutely. One day, gentlemen, I'll be joining you guys down there in Nashville. Right That'll be a good Can't time. Can't wait. Can't got wait. Some moonshine ready for you here at Sixth and Peabody, man. Well, cheers. Yes, See sir. Bobby Carpenter with us weekly here on the show. Coming up, we take a leak, uh, take a look at the the upcoming week in the NFL. That is just ahead. We will start though with Thursday night football. Browns. Who's playing in Case this game? Keenum. Who's playing in this game? I mean, not just Case Keenum, but no, the rest of this offense. We'll take a look at their their depth chart as they take on the Broncos, who are also banged up, but at least they have their starting quarterback, or at least that's the report. That and more next on Outkick 360. Broncos at Browns tonight for Thursday night football. Outkick 360 rolls on. So the the injury list for Cleveland is lengthy. We know that Baker Mayfield is not playing. Nick Chubb also out uh, for Cleveland. Uh, beyond that, Odell Beckham Jr., Jadavian Clowney, Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills, J.C. Treader, their center, uh, Malik Jackson, Malcolm Smith, and Mac Wilson, two linebackers. All of those players are questionable for tonight's game. So, you know, a, some of those players will play banged up. Others will not. And the question is, is Case Keenum going to have his two offensive tackles against that Broncos pass rush? On the other side, Teddy Bridgewater is going to start for Denver. He was questionable going into the Thursday night game as well. Uh, they have their left tackle who is questionable for tonight's game, Garrett Bowles. Um, so they could. there's a potential. They have uh, Chicago, a former Bears backup lineman that would swing in and start at left tackle if uh, if he can't go Cameron Fleming. I'd like to see percentages. I think since the injury designation changed, probable went away a couple years ago, and it's just out, doubtful, probable. Questionable. Yeah. No, no more doubtful. So, no, what did they take away? Took, they away, took probable. away probable. Yeah. yeah. So now that it's just questionable, I think a good high percentage of questionable plays – uh, so I'd be surprised if a good degree of these questionable you know don't Paul play tonight is, for Cleveland. It's tough to find a lot of optimism, even with those questionable guys. I, I was uh, reading a report Cleveland. earlier, 
And Je- the, the two optimistic will play tonight, probably, Jedrick Wills and Odell Beckham Jr. And outside of that, I mean, Hutton just went through the list. It sounds like they're starting 22 yep. is yeah. out for this game. Oh, it's I mean, bad. That's, it's bad. What else is going to be bad is 20-mile-per-hour swirling winds tonight. So where you think maybe, okay, you know, you got Melvin Gordon that, on but... one side, and then you'd have that stable of running backs for Cleveland, the two-headed monster. And well, you don't have that now for Cleveland. So you, the hope would be that negates not having your starting quarterback in this game and having Case Keenum in if it's going to be a ground attack because of awful wind. And now you don't really even have that advantage. It's going to be tough. I feel like Cleveland somehow finds a way tonight at home to win it. But, man, that is a long list of injuries. that They're, they're in trouble. And I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like um, Mayfield can go without surgery, but only for, for a time. Like, if he, he takes well, more, the, more hit, he's going to need it. So go get it. The most recent report is that he could wait on surgery, but he's likely going to need it. But if he continues to aggravate his left shoulder, he's it's going to – well, not just that. It's going to make it uh, – it's going to make it tougher for them to go in and repair the shoulder the way they need to. You see anything about recovery time, like if he had it now? No, I, I haven't seen any reports to that. I, I, I think that if he if further injures the left shoulder, it's going to lengthen the time of recovery for They're him playing with, with surgery. I mean, if there's a scenario where he can have it now and he's out four weeks, six weeks. I just don't see that with shoulder surgery. Well, It's, it's hard not- for me to think of someone with a shoulder surgery that's back a month later. That's a season ender. Yeah, I, I non-throwing shoulder is the, is the thing. I, I don't know if there's a if there is a scenario where he could do it and be back. I, I think they they should pull the 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 trigger there because it sounds like it's just a matter of time. Well, they they can't afford to make the determination yet because by not playing him tonight, he's given two weeks off, yeah. and they have the Steelers and Bengals coming up in back to back games when they return to play on the thirty first. So. I think it's worth wait and see, see the significance of the left shoulder injury, what the rest can do, if anything, and if he can play or not. But it sounds like it's not if, it's when. Like he's going to land on that, get hit on right. that. Oh, no, yeah. And it's going Absolutely. to get worse. It's just a matter of when and how lucky he is in terms of how he's taken to the ground. He's so. been playing with this for over a month. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for them because things are lined up. It's a good football team, but when your quarterback can't take a hit, it's a whole different deal. There's no questioning his toughness. And now suddenly I was I was reading something out of Cleveland today. There's a lot of question marks about his future as the quarterback of the Browns. It's a contract year, right? This, right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of question that, which was, you know, and maybe I'm uh, fooled by all the Baker Mayfield commercials that I see uh, when I when, when I say this, but... That's a little bit surprising to think about them not being certain about him being the guy moving forward. Well, it's the crazy world we live in now, Chad. I think they would be certain about him being their quarterback if it didn't mean he had to make a ridiculous amount of money, right? Well, I said Cleveland would say, we're happy for Baker Mayfield to be our quarterback if he doesn't have to make scale They're going to for what him. a quarterback makes right now. But they'll extend him and he'll make too much money. Baker Mayfield's worth a certain amount of money. Is he worth what the scale is now for what guys in his class are going to make? No. Well, I mean, he's, he's not going to get Josh Allen payday, but gonna get close. he's going to get Lamar Jackson type money. Which is crazy. Um, but that's, what the, that's a going rate for quarterback, Paul. I know. 
But I, I, I'm just saying I wish we lived in a world where Baker Mayfield could make a lot of money. But we live in a world where Case Lamar Keenum Jackson has made $50 million in his career. Well, He's going to start for his eighth team tonight. And that's how desperate you are for a quarterback right. long term because someone's going to pay him. Because They've that already is picked the up his fifth-year option. I just wish it wasn't – you get what I'm saying, where everybody, if you're in that group, makes what that group makes, where you could make – there could be an A quarterback and a B quarterback, and the B quarterback could – happily accept B quarterback money because he's a B quarterback and didn't have to make what Lamar Jackson's making. Lamar Jackson's worth a lot more money than Baker Mayfield. Well, Baker hasn't been terrible. No, no, he's, he's a good quarterback. They have one of the best offensive lines when healthy in the NFL. They have a run game that is tops in the league. But it's not Lamar Jackson. No, but, but I mean, again, there's only a handful of quarterbacks out there that I would rate above Lamar Jackson right now. But, but can they win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. They extend him. <laughs> but he, he's not going to get the money that he thought he was going to by having a, a career year, uh, by any means. When we come back, one thing on every NFL game this weekend on Outkick 360.